This is Oasis City Radio Music. This is Oasis City Radio Music. This is Oasis City Radio Music. Twenty-four hours a day at oasiscityradio.com. Tune in, iHeartRadio, and the Oasis City Radio app. This is Oasis City Radio music. Oasis City Radio. Welcome to Oasis City Church, Columbus. I want to share with you today. Uh, a message that has really been stirring on my heart uh, since before Easter. Knowing I was going to preach the week after Easter, um, so encouraged to see so many of you here today. I was concerned when I pulled in the parking lot, I was going to be, be like Mary and say, where'd the people go? You know, when she got to the tomb, she said, where, where's Jesus? Where's the people at? Uh, but you all made it here to church. Okay, that, that joke went better the first service, so I'll edit that in the... <laughs> You're right. <laughs> Tell it again for the video. And, uh, uh, but, but... I'm so encouraged to see so many of you here after Easter. How many of you know we're on a journey with God? We're on a relationship with God. So if you know Jesus or if you don't know him, you're you're still on the way. You're on a journey. And and today, I want to talk to you on the subject title, This is the Way. Say, This is the Way. way. Open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. We're going to talk to you about This is the Way. In, in, In 2012, Disney paid Four billion dollars, that's billion with a b-b-b, billion dollars for the rights to the Star Wars franchise. And in 2012, everybody thought they were crazy. Because why would you spend four billion dollars on a 1970s story? But in less than six years, Disney had turned that four billion dollars investment into a 4.8 billion dollar return on just four movies. That's not to count anything else that they did with the Star Wars uh, series. So not only did they make uh, the trilogy, but then they made other movies and spinoffs. As a matter of fact, they made uh, a a series on Disney called The Mandalorian. And as part of the greeting the Mandalorians had for each other, they would always say, this is the way. This is the way. This is the way. And if you look back at Disney and you say, well, are they really smart? Why in the world would they spend so much money on, on a story? But Disney knows story. They know the power of story. But not just the power of story. What I believe is that Disney understood the power of an encore. That a great story demands an encore. A great performance demands an encore. You know, the word encore, this is... What it means in the definition in Webster's, it means a repeated or an additional performance of an item at the end of a concert as called for by the audience, an encore. Disney understood that the Star Wars series really wasn't finished, that there were encores to be written. One of them, the Mandalorian, gave us this phrase, this is the way. So as we open up the book of Luke chapter 24, I want to talk to you about that phrase today. Let's look at verse 35. 
Let me just tell you this story before we read it here. Jesus has risen from the dead after Easter weekend and Easter morning. He's already, uh, the, the women have already found the tomb empty, but nobody has seen him yet. And so it's that evening, that Sunday evening, that Easter evening, when two disciples are walking home from Passover, they're talking about the events that happened over Passover weekend. So imagine what this must have been like. This was the most intense Passover weekend the world had ever seen. Even today, Passover week uh, creates such a stir in Jerusalem. Last weekend, Passover weekend, there was violence in the city as Muslims and Christians engaged and horrible things happened then as they often happen every year out of of this moment, this tense, tense moment of, of people gathering together in one place. And the week that Jesus was there was the most intense they'd ever been as Jesus was crucified and buried. And so as they go home, these these two disciples are walking home after Passover, discussing what had happened, and a stranger shows up in their midst. He begins to talk to them, begins to ask them questions. And so he goes with them along the road, and as as they continue to talk, when it gets dark, they get to the house of one of the disciples, and and they ask the stranger to stay with them. And so as we know, the stranger ends up being Jesus, the risen Jesus. Jesus comes in with them, and he sits down with them, and he has a meal and he breaks bread. And when he breaks bread, their eyes are open and they recognize Jesus, the teacher that they had followed, the one that they had given their lives to the last two or three years. And so they recognize the risen Jesus. And in that moment, Jesus does a disappearing act and literally disappears. And his resurrected body, this new body that he has, he's gone. He, he goes somewhere. And in that moment, those two disciples run in the middle of the night now back to Jerusalem. Whether it's seven miles or whether it's 20 miles, they go the whole way back to Jerusalem to find the 11 remaining disciples and to tell them, listen, we saw Jesus. He really has risen. And in verse 35, it says this in Luke chapter 24. Verse 35 says, then when they told those other disciples what had happened on the road, say the road. And how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. You see, that phrase there, on the road, is the same Greek word that is the way. It's a unique phrase because if you remember the scripture, Jesus said to his disciples, hey, listen, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. He was saying, I am the road. I am the way. The only way you can get to God is through me. So the way was a phrase that that Jesus had already been talking to his disciples about. And now here two disciples are telling the other disciples, listen, we were on the way and we met this man and then we realized it was Jesus. So the phrase the way goes on and is described in the book of Acts at least six times. The early church, they were described not as Christians, but it was known as the way. And so today we find ourselves in this same journey on the way. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're on the way. You're on the road. There's only one way to to God, and it's through Jesus. So as we find ourselves on the way, we can place ourselves literally in this story today, the story of Jesus encountering these two disciples. And so I want you to do that with me today as we dive in to find out what Jesus has for us to discover. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We think your word is alive, and it's in a man named Jesus. Father, help us to not miss Jesus. Let's not miss him today and what you want to say to us. Let's not miss him when we get home, when we go to school, when we go to work. 
Father, help us not to miss Jesus. So today, Lord, let your word bring truth to our lives. Let us set us free. Speak to our hearts, change our lives. Let your word today fall on the good soil of our hearts, that it will bear fruit and much fruit and fruit that remains in us. God, that we be forever changed in Jesus' name. Amen. Say, this is the way. This is the story, these two disciples that go. And on this journey, Jesus asks the two disciples three questions. And I want us to look at these three questions here because I believe there's much that we can learn today when we put ourselves in this story. You see, it wasn't just that this story is the way that we can put ourselves in it here today. But you know what else is that the reason, another reason I believe is that the two disciples that were named here, one of them was named Cleopas. And Cleopas, the, the, the word, the name means honorable one or famous one. It means father of glory. So the, this, this, this person, uh, this disciple who's a follower of Jesus, people in that day knew exactly who he was. He was a famous person. When they said Cleopas, they knew who he was. We don't know much about him today, but they knew who he was there. He was a famous person, a famous follower of Jesus, an honorable person, probably had wealth, probably had means. And who was the other person that was with him? Well, yeah, we don't know. The scripture literally says Cleopas and another, and another. Can you, can, can you imagine how that person must feel? Imagine this, like Cleopas, his name's only in the scripture one time, but like, I mean, he made the canon, like his name made the canon of scripture. I mean, like that's really saying something, right? I mean, Cleopas made the scripture. His name's actually written down. And the other person who was right there beside him, who went on the same journey with him, who heard everything that Jesus told him all along the way, who sat down at the same dinner table, whose, whose eyes were open just like Cleopas, is left unnamed. And I believe that's intentional because it's almost like Luke was writing this story for us today, knowing that people were going to be reading it, both people who were famous and well-to-do and people who were anonymous and nobodies. It's remarkable to me Scholars still, still, still uh, argue over who this other person was. Some people think it was a very humble Luke, the author of the book, who didn't want to name himself. Some people think it was Peter, uh, because, you know, anytime somebody's unnamed, people like to say it was Peter, because Peter was bold, and he would have been there. Uh, other people say, well, you know, it was Cleopas' wife, because, but, you know, back in that day, they didn't often name women, but Luke named so many women in Scripture, you know, so maybe it was his son, but there are people who argue all kinds of things. The truth is, is we don't know, we'll never know till we get to heaven who this other person is. And I believe it's written here today for us to be able to realize that we're on this journey together, all of us, and that whether or not you're famous, whether or not you have well means, God is speaking to you and you're on this journey with him here today. And so the last reason is this. I believe that just like the disciples here, you see, the truth is, is they were waiting for, they had seen Jesus, they had been with Jesus, they had traveled with him and heard him teach. And I believe they were waiting for an encore. They were waiting for Jesus to do something else. If they remembered right, they were, they were at a place when they were waiting for him to see, is he going to really raise from the dead like he said? Do you realize this? They were waiting for an encore, right? That's what the disciples were waiting for. How many of you know that today we're waiting for the return of Jesus? We're waiting for an encore. Oh, is that just this, these four right here? You know, or am I in the wrong church? Do we realize that we're waiting on the return of Christ? That we are waiting on an encore, a coming back of Jesus to, to the earth, right? He's bringing heaven to earth. We're waiting for his return. We're not waiting to get out of here. Right? You catch that? God's not coming back to take us away. He's coming back to restore his kingdom here. 
That's the second coming. It's not a second going. Do you hear me? It's a second coming. So we're really waiting for a return. So we're just like these disciples. We're waiting. Is Jesus returning? Is he coming back? So there's this anticipation that we feel that they could have felt at that that exact same time. And there's this power and this encore that is so important. And and I think it's important for us to, to wrestle a little bit with that tension. Because how many of you know in waiting for something to happen, there can be a lot of tension. There can be tension. And so the three questions that Jesus asked them, I want us to to note. The first one was this. We see it in verse 17. Verse 17, he said, Jesus said to them, what's the conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? What is the conversation? What I believe Jesus was really asking was this. He was really asking, what you talking about? What are you talking about? Why is that important? Why did he want to know what they were talking about? How many of you know that, that the scripture reminds us that, that Jesus said this earlier in Luke? He said, what you say flows from what is in your heart. Wow, that's good. The book of Psalms records it like this. It says, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. So when Jesus said, what y'all talking about? He was wanting to say, hey guys, what's important to you? You just experienced the most remarkable probably disappointing moment of your life. So what are you talking about? What's in your heart? What really matters to you? And today, uh, to us, it's asking the question, hey, what you texting about? What, like, what are you posting about? Like, like, what really matters to you? If I want to know what matters to you, I'll go to your social media site. Because you're going to post, you're going to talk about what's really important. Are, are, you, are you talking about Jesus? Like, is he, is he really part of your life or is it just a Sunday thing? Like, is it really something you're talking about? Is it something you're texting about? Is it something that you're encouraging other people with? And Jesus wanted to know to these people, hey, what, what's in your heart? He wasn't just listening for the words. He was saying, what is in your heart? What is the condition of your heart? And he's asking us the same question today. And then in verse 19, because when he asked them, what, what are you talking about? The, the two disciples look at him and they literally say, are you the only one in all Jerusalem that doesn't know what happened this weekend? Like, were you not around at Passover? Like, do you not know what happened? Didn't you know the things that happened? And Jesus' response in verse 19 says, what things? Now imagine this. Jesus is asking them a question about what things happened in Jerusalem when the things that happened are all about him. He's asking a question that he already knows the answer to. So he's not asking question for information. He's asking questions to discover what is really in the heart of his disciples. He's not asking for information. He wants to know what do these disciples really know? What things are he asking? So when he says the question, what things, what I believe he's really asking here today is he's really saying, who do you say that I am? By asking what things, he was talking, well, what did you see this weekend? He knows what happened, but he wants to know what do they think of what happened and who do they think this person Jesus really is? I believe he's still asking us the same question today. Who do you say I am? Who do you think that I am? So these two disciples go on to say, and and, and they just begin to talk about it. And they were like, what things? They were like, uh, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, man, of course. 
Like, what do you mean? What things? He was a mighty prophet indeed, and a word of God, had a word of God for all the people. They're telling Jesus about how great Jesus was. Do you get this? Do you, can you see the moment? They're having a conversation with Jesus saying, why don't you understand? Jesus was amazing. Jesus, what things he's asking? He's saying, yeah, but who do you say that I am? So he lets them go, and this is what they say. They say the chief priests and rulers delivered him up, condemned him to death, crucified him. And then in verse 21, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. So now Jesus gets to the heart of his question. Because when he asked what things, he was really saying, who do you say that I am? And they said, we had hoped that he was going to redeem Israel. And obviously in this, they were saying, but he hasn't. We hoped that he would. Besides all these things, this is what they say. It is now the third day since these things happened. Why is it important that they said the third day? Well, because Jesus said what? That on the third day, the Son of Man would rise again. Think about this for a minute. They are telling the resurrected Jesus that Jesus, we had hoped that Jesus was going to be the Savior of Israel. But we're actually disappointed because it's the third day and, well, Jesus, you know, you, you see where we're at. Do, do you see the blindness? Can you feel that moment for just a minute? Can you feel the moment of them saying, yeah, listen, man, Jesus, we'd hoped he'd saved us. But now it's the third day, you know, because he said he would raise on the third day. But here we are the third day heading home, waiting for an encore and nothing's happened. And they're saying this in the presence of the risen Savior. This strikes me to the core because as we look at it today, we think how in the world could they have missed Jesus? How could they have missed him? He's, he's, he's appeared to them. He's talking to them. He's talking to them about the things that are happening, and yet they still don't recognize him. Do we ever miss Jesus? Like, do you think we've ever missed Jesus when he was among us? Jesus is dumbfounded. They're saying all of these things. And we look at Jesus as a man full of grace. And yet his response to this is, um, I think we can relate to it. It's relatable. They go on to talk about it. They even say to them, you know, listen, there were actually even some women that went down to the tomb and they said the tomb is empty. But, you know, they're inferring, you know, women talk. We can't believe what women say. This is what they're saying. They're saying, yeah, we even know that people went to the tomb and they said it's empty, but, you know, here we are on the third day. And so finally in verse, as we continue to go, in verse 20, 23 and 24, they continue to talk about it, all of these things. And Jesus is asking, who do you say that I am? And they're continuing to saying, like, man, we thought this was the man, but he must not be. This must not be. It's the same question that Jesus asked his disciples hey, who do people say that I am? And, and the disciples said, well, 
Some say you're this, some say you're that, some say you're Elijah, some say you're John the Baptist. And finally, Peter speaks up and he says, but I believe you're the Christ, the son of the living God. It's the same question. He's asking these disciples the same question. And then they still don't get it. And then in verse 25, he says this. And I want us to think about this for a moment because Jesus has already asked them two questions. He's already appeared to them. He's talking to them about the events of the Passover. And he's, he's in the flesh standing before him. They don't see that it's him. And so then this is what Jesus does. And this is where some of us get stuck. We're on a journey on the way, just like these disciples. Jesus is talking to us. He's trying to show us himself in many ways. And then this is what Jesus says. He says to them in verse, in verse 25, are you with me? And he said this. Jesus says, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Can you relate a little bit to what Jesus says here? I mean, we look at it and we're like, man, Jesus was a little confrontational. I mean, yeah, he, he called them fools and slow to their face. I would say it was a little bit confrontational. But would you say that they needed it? Would you say that they needed to be confronted with their foolishness? They need to be confronted with their slowness. That they need to be confronted with their ignorance of Scripture. And so Jesus confronts them in the moment. He calls them fools. He calls them slow. And then he goes on to say this. He says, slow to believe. Then he says this, was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things to enter into his glory? Because you see, the disciples were sitting there waiting. All of Israel was waiting for Jesus to come back to overthrow the, the, the Romans and to end their suffering. But the whole time Jesus was saying, listen, the prophets foretold that I'm not going to come back to overthrow you out of suffering, but I'm going to come back and restore you through suffering. Listen, Jesus was saying, I have to suffer and die in order to restore what was stolen from the beginning. And this is Jesus' plan of restoration. But he's looking at him and saying, you're fools. You're slow. Why do you not get this? Can you not see it? And so he confronts them in their ignorance. And I'm here to tell you today that it is the kindness and goodness of God that calls us back to repentance. And sometimes it is the kindness and goodness of God that shakes us out of a stupor, that causes us to wake up out of our slowness and out of our foolishness. And he comes and he wakes us up to the place of saying, here I am. This is Jesus. But if we're walking along the way and we're easily offended, or if we allow pride in our hearts to say, no, 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 I really do know the scripture. I, I've quoted it all to you. I've, I've, I've said it all to you. We will miss the risen Savior. Because Jesus loves us enough to confront us. He loves us enough to convict us. And so he brings it to the disciples' things. And this third question, when he asked them, was it not necessary that Christ had to suffer? I believe what he's really saying is saying, why are you so unaware? How can you not see what is right in front of you? Why are you not seeing this in the scripture? And then out of his goodness, what does he do? The scripture says he takes them back all the way from Moses through the prophets and what does he do? He interprets them all the scriptures concerning himself. He takes them through everything. This is, listen, church, this is why we can't throw away the Old Testament. Do you hear me? We can't unhitch ourselves to the Old Testament. Why? Because the Old Testament points to Jesus. Everything about the Old Testament points to Jesus. The law, the part that we don't understand, the part that was written specifically to the people in that day and that time, what? It points to Jesus. 
Every part of it points to Jesus. We have to recognize that it all points to him and it's why we have to have it. Over the next several weeks, we're going to look at covenants that God made. And the reason we're going to look at them is why? Because it points to Jesus. Because it shows who, who God is. We have to understand this. And so Jesus takes them through line by line, the entire Hebrew scripture, everything that points to him. Can you imagine that moment? Imagine Jesus reciting. He didn't have a scroll in his back pocket. He's reciting from memory the prophets. He's reciting the law. He's reciting the covenant to Moses. He's reciting the the words to David of, of the prophecies about Jesus. He's reciting these to the disciples. Can you imagine how that must have felt to have, to have Jesus recite the, the quotes in Isaiah that speak to him and in the Psalms that speak to Jesus? What that must have been like. But they still didn't get it. And this is remarkable to me because it's easy for us to judge them and say, how in the world did the disciples not understand who was with them? How could they ever missed it? You see, it's almost like this. They were looking through the wrong end of the telescope. You see, the disciples at that time, they were looking to the future and they were saying, well, well, the Messiah is going to look like this and I haven't seen one that looks like this yet. So I'm not. And the whole time they're standing next to Jesus. If they would have turned the telescope around, they would have recognized that Jesus was standing right next to them. But how many of you know we can do the same thing? We miss Jesus so many times because we're looking for him to appear in a certain way or a certain form or a certain thing, and we miss what's happening right amongst us. I want to encourage you, even as we sowed first fruits, many of you were believing God to meet us in different needs in different areas, but you know, some of us are looking for like the corner office, but we haven't done anything with the cubicle that we have. And if we... If we don't recognize that God wants to work right where we're at, that God is present right now, right here in the moment, he's not going to allow us to to, to get the corner office if we haven't changed the cubicles that we're all around today. God is present right where we're at. But the two disciples were looking ahead. They were looking ahead. They were looking ahead. They were like, man, we thought for a minute this was it, but where is he? And he's standing right beside them. How can we not miss it today? That's the question. How can we not miss the encore, the coming back, the resurrected Jesus that was standing right there in front of him? How can we be sure that we don't miss what God has for us? You know, the encore is so powerful And we talked about Disney, how Disney understood the power of the encore. And so they spent money because they recognized, man, there's more to be made here. There's more stories to be told. But as I did a little research on this idea of encore this week, here's what I learned that, um, you know, Elvis changed music forever, right? You know, raised in the church and and they they called him the king of rock and roll, right? Uh, And he was so famous and such a celebrity in his day. But do you know what his manager told him? Elvis didn't believe in the encore. His manager said, listen, every performance that you give, you want to leave people wanting more. So we're never going to do an encore. And Elvis never did an encore because he didn't believe in it. He wanted the people leaving for more. And you ever heard the phrase, uh, ladies and gentlemen, Elvis has left the building. Yeah. Well, it, it came about because they had to make an announcement because people would stay around in anticipation, expecting an encore. But the announcement was saying, no, listen, really, for real, Elvis is gone. 
It was really it. He didn't understand the power that an encore had. People, even though they were demanding it, he didn't return. And do you know that some of us are actually looking at our lives and thinking like Elvis? We think, man, I want more from this relationship with God, but, but he's disappointed me before. I don't know that he's coming back. Or we're sitting here saying, I don't know if Jesus is going to show up in, in this thing. We're looking and we're saying, God, I needed you to heal this person. And when it didn't happen, I just don't know if you're real. Or I just don't know if I can trust you. Or I just don't know if you can be there for me. And because you didn't show up like I thought you were going to show up, then maybe just forget it. We've given up on the encore. Have you ever missed something in life? You ever missed a moment where you thought, man, if I would have just hung on a little longer, if I would have just stayed there a little longer, I, I might have seen it. I read an article this week. You know, the Magic Johnson came uh, into the NBA in the, in the late 70s. And, and the year before, uh, Larry Bird had come in and had signed a, a $90,000 contract with Converse sneakers. They were the number one sneaker company of the day. Larry Bird had come in and signed this contract. And so Magic Johnson comes onto the scene and he's going to sign a contract. This is when shoe contracts were just starting. And so he comes on the scene and he starts receiving offers from these different shoe companies, right? Or what they're doing. And, all of, and, and so as he's listening to these offers, they're going to pay him 80, 90,000, whatever it's going to be. And he's looking at it, listening and taking different offers. This guy approaches him in the hotel of a lobby named Phil Knight. And he says, listen, man, Magic, listen. I started a brand new shoe company a couple years ago, and uh, we would love for you to be part of this new Nike shoe brand. So we would love for you to sign with us and let Nike make your shoe. We'll make a shoe. We'll put your name on it. You know, you can, you can sign with us. And so he entertained the offer for a while, and they asked what the offer was. They said, well, listen, we, we just started. We can't pay you, man, what these other companies are saying, but here's what we'll do. We'll give you stock. We'll give you stock option in Nike because um, um, it'll be worth something very soon. But, but you got to trust us. Listen, we're a family. Get in this at the beginning with us. Let's do it together. And so he entertained the offer, and, and, and then Magic made the, the wise decision and went with Converse because they offered him 100000 And it was more than Larry Bird had made. And so he was king for the moment, and he signed a $100,000 contract. Do you know what, what the Nike stock would be worth today if he had taken the shares of stock that they'd given him? $5.2 billion. He'd be one of the richest men on the planet, by far the wealthiest athlete that has ever lived. $5.2 billion. You know, Magic missed his moment. He missed a moment, okay? It's remarkable. He, he had an opportunity that he, that, that he missed you, anybody regret anything? Do you ever regret? you ever look back in your life and say, man, I wish I would have, I wish I had just stayed. I wish I had tried to work things out. I wish I would have stayed and seen this, this moment. I wish I would have stayed for the encore. Question is, is what do you do from those moments? Because we all have regrets. Listen, some people will try to tell you, I live with no regrets. <laughs> all right. Talk yourself into it. <laughs> no, we all have regrets. We all have regrets. The question is, is what do you do with those regrets? What do you do when you have a regret? The disciples are facing a moment when they don't recognize Jesus. He's with them and they don't know it. But there is something in them that says to Jesus, hey, come over to my house. They say to Jesus, come on, he's a stranger. They say, come on in, eat supper with us. Come on in, it's a long journey, you've been there. 
Was it because they knew that it was Jesus, there was something to this? I don't know. It could have been that they just did the right thing. It was culturally acceptable. It was, it was the honorable thing to do. You didn't leave a stranger out, out alone at night, and so they invited him in. Maybe it was just out of the goodness of his heart that they, didn't, that they invited him in. But it's in that moment that everything changes. When Jesus pressed on to leave, they urged him. And so finally, Jesus went in with him. And in verse 30, Jesus, he was at the table with them. He took the bread and he blessed it. And he broke it and he gave it to them. What's this a picture of, guys? It's, it's communion. It's the Last Supper. Jesus breaking bread with his disciples. He's fellowshipping with them. He's communing. He's eating at the table with his disciples. And verse 30, as he breaks the bread, verse 31 says this. It says, and their eyes were opened and they recognized him. I love this because it wasn't that he was revealed to them, but they recognized him. It's it's saying they knew who he was. They just didn't see him. But in this moment, when the bread was broken, they, they recognized him, that this was Jesus. And the scripture says, he vanishes. He's gone. Do you think they sat there and thought, if only we had recognized him earlier. How it would have changed the conversation. How, how, how they would have engaged a little deeper. How, how, what they would have gotten out of it. Maybe, maybe they would have had a moment to ask Jesus a question. Maybe they could have asked and sought and, and found out something. How they wished that they would have learned earlier that they would have known. But you see, there's something so powerful in this today. There's something so powerful. You know, just as Jesus went back with them to the scripture and explained who he was through the entire Hebrew text from from the beginning of Moses and the Pentateuch all the way through the prophets, he explains himself, he reveals himself, Jesus, in the same way when he sits down at supper with them. He's revealing himself to us today. I want you to notice this in in Genesis chapter three. I love this. It says, verse five, uh, the, the, the serpent came to Adam and Eve. Go with me for a minute, all right? Just a couple more minutes. The serpent said to Eve, God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. This is Adam and Eve in the garden. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes, what did she do? The tree was desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate and she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And then what happened? Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. So the first meal ever recorded in scripture is a meal that brings about death, destruction, and decay. It was a meal that was, that was taken out of disobedience. They disobeyed God and they ate of this meal. It's the first meal recorded. You have to understand that this story would have been not just told over and over again, but it was, it was memorized every Every student would have known, every Jewish child would have known this story, exactly how it was said. They would have understood it and heard it for years. And so when Jesus sits down at the table, they would have known this story in the back of their head, but but it was the first story, the first meal that was ever recorded. But here is Jesus now sitting at the table. It's the first story of supper after the resurrection. And at the first story of resurrection, again, Jesus is about to reveal himself in a different way. So what he does is when he breaks the bread after the first meal of resurrection, he says, I am the life 
And what does he do? He redeems the curse of the law. He redeems the curse of sin that was the first meal. And he says, I am the resurrection and I am the life. And in that moment, their eyes were opened. Yet this time their eyes weren't open to sin, their nakedness and their shame. This time their eyes were open to the resurrected Jesus. Their eyes were open to, to eternal life. Their eyes were open again to hope in, in, in a savior. And so it was the meal that caused them to open their eyes. And I'm here to tell you to this today, that as we are on the way, following the way with Jesus, that Jesus wants to lead us to a meal, one that is relational and it is revelational in the life of who he is. It is revelation in who he is, restoring life, canceling sickness, canceling death, canceling the curse of sin and the curse of law and bringing new life to us today. So you need to understand that when we gather together and we come to church, this, this is the table. This is the place where we do communion. And when we sit down and we receive communion, we receive the body and the blood of Jesus. What are we doing? We're receiving of him. And we're receiving that new covenant of life, which cancels out sin. Do you hear me, church? There is power in this story. There's power in this. And so the two disciples who, who missed the encore for how many hours in a moment recognized Jesus when they sat at the table of fellowship, the table of communion. And this is significant for us today because, because the way that Jesus is leading us is really leading us to the table of communion. He's asking us to join us at the table. And so the question is today, will you join him at the table of communion? Will you join him at the table of new life where he says, listen, no matter what you've done, no matter what sin you've committed, no matter what past mistakes you have made, no matter the encores that you have missed in your life before, at the table of communion is new life. It's a new beginning. It's resurrection. It's hope once again. It's not just hope deferred. It's hope anew. And that's what we receive today. That's the life that we receive. And so in, in, in verse 32... The disciples say this right after this. They recognize Jesus. Jesus is gone. And so it's the moment of saying, okay, we missed an encore, but Jesus revealed himself to do us. Now, what do we do? This is the place that if you decided to follow Jesus, you find yourself out. Okay, Jesus is real. Jesus is the son of God. Now, what do we do? And verse 32 says this. It says, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road and while he opened up the scriptures? Can I tell you something that I believe today God wants to restore hope for many of us? We've been disappointed. You've been disenfranchised. You've said, God, I, I, I don't know that there's hope. I don't know uh, if this is real. I don't know what is really going on in my life. You've allowed the circumstances of this world, your unmet expectations to bring you to a place to say, I don't know. And so God is looking for you to come to a place. And he's asking you these questions. He's asking you, who are you talking about? What are you talking about? He's asking you, who do you say that I am? He's asking you, listen, why are you unaware? <laughs> really, you fool? Why are you unaware? You're a little slow today. Why are you unaware? He's bringing conviction. He's bringing confrontation in your life. Why? Because he is the hope giver. 
He's the new life bringer. But he's confronting the lies, the mistakes, the past in your life because he's saying, listen, are you going to choose today to really follow me? Many of us today, we we have a relationship with Jesus. We really know him. But he's saying, listen, are you really going to go on this journey with me? Here's what I believe he's restoring. It was until afterwards the disciples recognized our hearts were burning with passion when he was opening up the scripture. I believe that there should be passion in our lives when we follow Jesus. You can probably tell that by the way that we worship here on a Sunday morning that, you know, we believe in expressing ourselves and being passionate about Jesus. But I'm here to challenge some of you. Listen, it's not about your outward expression of worship. That's not it. But I'm here to tell you today, isn't it remarkable that their first inclination of who Jesus was, was a feeling? Now, wait a minute. Tell me if that doesn't mess with your theology. Wait a minute. They felt God in their heart. They felt a burning passion. I'm here today to tell you that God wants to restore a burning passion in you for him. He wants to open up the scripture to you that when you don't just read it, but you say, Jesus, help me. Come alongside me. Speak to me your word and ignite this fire, this passion, this flame in me once again. Some of you here today have have treated your relationship with Jesus like an Elvis concert. No, really, like you've enjoyed it. You said, man, this is good. You come to church and you're like, man, this is a good show. This is good. But you've come to believe that there's no encore, that this is it. Some of you think that the king has left the building, like he's gone. He hasn't showed up. He's done. The show's over. There's nothing more to see here. But I'm here to tell you that, listen, the king has left the building, but he's coming back. Tell him, church, listen, Jesus is coming back for you and me. And when he comes back, listen, he's waiting for a victorious bride. Right? So here's what I'm telling you. Listen, if you don't have victory in your life right now, guess what? You are ripe for an encounter with God. Because he is coming back. And he's coming back for victorious bride. So if you're not victorious yet, it must mean that God's about to do something in your life. He's about to do something. God's about to break through in your life if we commit to following him, recognizing him as the Christ. Who do you say that I am? Recognizing our own weaknesses, where we've been unaware, where we've been uh, believing something that wasn't of God and saying, no, God, I really believe you are. And I'm ready to tell others about you. Would you stand with me? To all of you watching online, I want to thank you so much for being with us and I want to encourage you. We want to connect with you. We We want to encourage you in your walk with God, your faith, I believe that God is waiting to meet you in an encore in your life if you'll allow him. Believe that he's the son of God today. Recommit your life to him. Thanks for joining us today. To connect with us, go to oasiscitychurch.com. You can watch all of our live events on the Oasis City Church app, YouTube, and Facebook Live. And please join us next Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. in Westerville on East Wind Drive.